Good morning. We're going to read from Hebrews 11, uh, sorry, Hebrews 13. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to it. If not, then it will appear on the screen behind me. So Hebrews 13, concluding exhortations. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, doing so, sorry, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. We are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honourably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for in fact I have written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people, those from Italy, send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. I'm not going to hide them, so I'll move them. There you go, thanks guys. So, the greatest sacrifice. Um, we've, we've reached the final chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13. And we've concentrated over the last 12 weeks. It's been more than that because we 
broke it up with Easter and things. But over the last 12 weeks we've been looking at it, we've focused on the major theme of Hebrews, the major theme of the book, which is the superiority of Jesus Christ over all else. Yes? Now, I've seen chapter 13 referred to as the so what chapter. And in it, the writer revisits many of the themes that he's covered in the first 12 chapters, and he gives them some practical application. Hands up if you've been study, following the study guide. Yet yeah, a few people have. Now, you may be still working through it, so there's a spoiler alert here. If you haven't got to day 30 yet, then I say it's a spoiler. If you have got there, you'll know that it starts, that perhaps more than ever, before people are watching to see, perhaps more than ever, more than ever before, let's look at the, the flow right, people are watching to see whether our lives express our beliefs. Many are sick of outward pretense and genuinely hunger for authenticity and integrity. The nonconformist minister, Alexander McLaren, said, The world takes its notion of God, most of all, from those who say they belong to God's family. They read us a great deal more than they read the Bible. They see us. They only hear about Jesus Christ. And this statement is the reason that chapter 13 is presented in the way that it is. And the chapter's got the heading, concluding, exhortation, concluding Exhortations. And that means it's urgent advice or recommendations for us. Now, we said most of Hebrews is given for the purpose of teaching and doctrine. But this chapter and the previous one are perhaps emphasising the duty of believers to apply that practically. It's not enough only for us to know the truth. We have to obey the truth. And the chapter challenges us to live a life in accordance with the truth that we've learnt. Now the chapter opens with a list of different areas where believers should pay attention to their conduct and they're going to come up on the screen behind me. They are brotherly love, hospitality, sympathy with those in prison, fidelity in marriage, contentment, submission to those in authority, stability in the doctrines of religion, benevolence, obedience to those entrusted with office, and a special prayer for the person who wrote the epistle. And then it closes with a beautiful benediction that should serve to challenge each one of us to a personal commitment to the Lord in regard to the personal conduct. For me, though, the key is in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. That's the key verse in this chapter. No, a key lesson there, isn't there? But no, in all seriousness this morning, I would look into things. Some leaders kind of skip over this bit. They're uncomfortable maybe about the idea of others submitting to them, whereas others are quite comfortable with it and use it to deliver a few spiritual punches to uh, members of the congregation with what you see, the, the troublemakers, to keep them in line. But uh, just a comment in all seriousness about this verse, though. We should respect our leaders, shouldn't we? Yeah, we should be praying for them. And we should recognise that not all our leaders have titles or have been given titles. So just a quick note there. But to quote Fraulein Maria, let's start at the very beginning. Verse 1. It begins with, keep on loving each other as brothers. As though to say, you know, this was a, a, a mark of the early church, of the early believers. 
that brotherly love describes an attitude that should mark us as a church. There should be that family love between us as a church family. And the word that they use for, for brotherly love gives a clue as to what kind of love it should be. Because we know, don't we, or some of us know, that the Greeks had four words for love. Eros, agape, philia, storge, storge, storge. The word used for love in Hebrews 13.1 is philia, Philadelphia. It's ancient Greek work. It speaks to that brotherly friendship and affection, the deep love of friendship and partnership. And there should be plenty of that amongst us as Christians, as a Christian family, shouldn't there? That brotherly love together. Going on to verse 2, we're told, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing. And we read in the Bible, don't we, that Abraham and Lot were called to entertain angels. Well, this isn't saying that we've got to have a hospitality of, uh, sorry, a spirit of hospitality in case one day an angel pops up for tea in the same way that the tiger did in the book. An angel's a messenger, yeah? And so it's about realising that according with God's providence, his care and his guidance, that he may send someone with your, your way with a message for you and you need to be able to receive them. You should show hospitality. Or it may be that someone he sent your way that you can be of a benefit to. And again, we want to be a church that has that level of hospitality, doesn't it, don't we? That welcomes people. We go into verse 3 and it reminds us that those who are in prison, about those who are in prison and suffering adversity. It's saying that we need to be careful not to only think of ourselves. You know, at the time, some believers were being imprisoned for their faith. And the writer was urging the Hebrew Christians not to forget those. But not also that. He was saying, don't write them off if they've gone to prison, if they've done wrong. Of course, there's a way back now. He also says about remembering those who have wronged us. And praying for them as well. And today, we need to be mindful, don't we, about the Christians who have been persecuted around the world. And continue to pray for them. And also challenge that we shouldn't be writing people off. We sing in the hymn, don't we, the vilest offender who truly believes. That moment, that wonder when Jesus receives, a pardon receives, sorry. We should be praying for those in prison. That they would turn to God and turn away from the lifestyle that they were leading before going into prison. We get to verse 4 and we're challenged to acknowledge and maintain the sanctity of marriage. To have the right attitudes in our marriage towards our marriage partner. In preparing this, Justin looked over it and, and said, do you just need to explain a little bit there? Because we live in a world, don't we, where marriages break down. People get divorced. 50% of the teaching team is divorced or has been divorced. That's the reality. But as a church, we should be straight holding marriage up as one of the pillars, shouldn't we? We should believe in strong marriage. We should be looking to do what we can to strengthen our marriages. To live lives which are honourable in marriage. I read that marriage is the ultimate test of living in unconditional and submissive love to one another. I pointed it out to Justine. Um, and in marriage, you learn to sacrifice and to give of yourself to another and we know, don't we, that the Institute of Marriage is, is being attacked. It's being challenged 
Is it being cheapened? We've read in last week, haven't we, about the no-fault divorces that are coming in. But we should be modelling healthy marriages, and these are healthy marriages here. If things break down, it's not the end of the world. There's a way back. But we should be modelling and desire healthy marriages. It's a gift to us. And how we live in our relationships is, is picked up on by others. You know, when I did my probation training, there were a couple of guys that I became mates with. And we went out a few times with their wives and, and Justine. We, we weren't married at the time. On one occasion, we got talking about church. And one of the guys' wife said they, she went to their local church. The guy I was training with didn't anymore. And at that date, we talked more. And the reason he didn't go to church was because the vicar had had an affair and the two family units involved had been broken up. And my mate just couldn't square the circle in terms of what the vicar had said from the front and how he behaved. People watch and it has an impact. We go on to verse 5 and we're told to have the right attitude towards our material possessions, not to love money. And we need to remind ourselves, don't we, that everything that we have or own comes from God. And what we have is enough because we can, be ten, we can be content in the fact that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And if we do learn that actually if we lost everything that we own, we can still be content because we'd still have Jesus. And then as verse 6 indicates, we'll realise that our help really does come from the Lord. And one of the greatest weaknesses that we can encounter in our life is that failure to recognise that the Lord is our strength and our substance. Without him, we have nothing, we can do nothing, and we're, we're helpless. Now that's the opening six, six verses. And as I prepared this, I thought, how are we doing at Junction 10, the areas that we've identified by the writer? Is there brotherly love between us? Do we show hospitality? What, what about prisoners? Do we remember prisoners? Is that a gap in our ministry, in our out outreach at the moment? What emphasis do we put on marriage? We run the marriage course, don't we? Marriage enrichment nights. Uh, are we material, materialistic? Do we want to hang on to our possessions? Are we, are we dare I say, are we precious about a building? Because when we have the building, it's going to get used. People are going to come in. And it still happens. I only heard in the last few weeks that a church has stopped its youth club because they don't want the young people coming in and spoiling the building. And you think, man, have we moved on from Hebrews? Picking it up again from verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And just for a moment, just stop and, and just think of leaders who've spoken God's word to you. It may have been many, many years ago. It may have been a couple of weeks ago. It may have been in school. It may have been at home. It may have been church. And some say that that word remember indicates that these leaders for the Hebrews were no longer around. It may be a reference to the apostles, the original ones. But the writer doesn't say remember them to invoke some kind of warm, fuzzy feelings of nostalgia. He's encouraging people to recall the message 
as much, if not more, than the messenger. He's saying to them, remember what they taught you about Jesus. Remember what they said, because it's still true. It's not a fad, it's not passing, it's true. Because in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Well, why do people need to be reminded of this? Well, it's because we know, don't we, that false teachers have started coming in. The gospel was starting to be diluted. They were trying to reintroduce aspects of the law and strange teachings, as it says in, in the verse. Putting emphasis back on the sacrifice of animals. And the writer brings it back to remind them that actually the greatest sacrifice has already been made. From verse 10 he says, The old Mosaic order was finished at the cross and it shouldn't be revived. He says to them, you know, if you're missing the altar of sacrifice, don't worry, because we've got a new altar, the altar being the cross. The cross which replaced the priesthood of Aaron with the priesthood of Melchizedek. A greater altar, because the priests back in the day couldn't eat to the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But through Jesus Christ, through faith, we can partake in the sacrifice that's made for us. The greater sacrifice grants us greater privileges than the priests under the old covenant. We carry on, and the next few, next few verses show the way that Jesus challenged the old order. See, under the old covenant, the animal to be sacrificed was brought to the temple, it was taken to the altar, its blood was then taken into the most holy place by the priest. But the body was then taken outside of the camp. And it's a process that's set out very clearly in the book of Leviticus. But now the greater sacrifice had been made. The greatest sacrifice. And the altar wasn't in the temple. This altar, the cross, was actually outside of the city. It was outside of the walls. It was there as a mark of disgrace. The blood that was shed and the greatest sacrifice was shed outside of the camp. And the body wasn't burned. It was buried. This was the living sacrifice. The eternal covenant we read of in verse 20. The greatest sacrifice that could be made. And the writers tell the Hebrew Christians that actually in rejecting and turning fully from Judaism to Christ, they need to be willing to be disgraced by those around them. Maybe sent outside the city walls. But actually through the greatest sacrifice, outside of the city walls isn't a place of disgrace anymore. It's a place of victory. The cross is a place of victory. And verse 14 says, The city we have is only temporary. And we shouldn't focus on maintaining our position there. Because a much greater city, heaven, is yet to come. Not only is the cross a place of sacrifice... It's a place of safety and a place of surety. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And for us, there's a challenge there, isn't there? Because we don't live in walled cities or communities. Some wealthy people may live in gated estates. But can we be guilty of partaking in the sacrifice made by Jesus within the walls of the church and then living life as though it never happened for the rest of the week? outside the walls well what's our response to this the, the chapter goes on and we're called 
to offer continually a sacrifice or offering a praise. He says, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, we're not talking about 24-7 singing of praise songs, but continually offering our thanks, our worship to the one who gave it all. Not only what we say, though, but what we do. The writer continues in verse 16 by telling them, the sacrifice of praise also means doing good and sharing with others. It means showing brotherly love, hospitality, care for those facing adversity, honouring marriage, preferring your husband or wife to yourself, being content with what you have, and avoiding the love of money. In summary, it's considering the needs of others above your own. And let's be clear, the writer isn't saying that you need to do all these things to, to partake and be part of the new covenant. Because that's going back to the old ways, isn't it? That's going back to the law by saying, you've got to show these in order to be part of this. What he's saying that our lives should be distinctive and only explicable by the work of present by the work and presence of God in our lives. Our motivation for doing this, for showing brotherly love, hospitality, our motivation is Christ in us, living in us. And because of that, our only response should be one of praise. And going back to the quotes on the start about people watching and seeing what we do. This should be a life that causes other people to question, why do they do that? Why, why do they continually put others before themselves? Why do they put others first when they've been wronged? It should be a life that reflects Jesus Christ and draws people toward him. I'm, I'm going to get the band up at this point and we're going to sing that song again, All I Once Held Dear. And what I'm going to do is we're going to kind of bring this summary a look at chapter 13 to a close we're going to sing this song again and sing it from the position of all I once held dear build my life upon the say about the new covenant it's about putting down the things that we know that we've had comfort in and we've we've trusted and found reassurance in and saying I can put that down because although this might be new and different actually it's a better way if I'm trusting in Jesus and the verse approaches its conclusion with a prayer of blessing, which I'll read to you again. It's going to come up on the screen. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought you back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And let, let that be our prayer as well this morning. We're going to sing this song now, No Greater Thing Than Knowing Jesus. And after we've sung that and just pause briefly as we, as we reflect on that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to just sum up the whole series and then we, we'll conclude by praying together. Is that okay? Shall we stand together as we, as we sing this song? Let's take a moment and let's just reflect on are we applying this as we've heard in our lives?
It was given because people needed to realize that you had done everything. You had done everything to reconcile man back to God. It was given because people needed to know not to put faith in their own strength or in their own ways or their own understanding, but you had done everything. We've been equipped for every good doing, everything good, to do your will. Lord, help us to take what what we've looked at over this week and, and the previous weeks and apply it. Now we know it, so what? So we do something about it. like to take your seats there. So we're concluding this series then and just to quickly recap on what we've looked at over the weeks, it's going to come up on the screen again behind me. Week one, we had God's greatest revelation. Week two, the greatest man. Three, a greater Moses. Four, a greater Sabbath. Five, a greater son. Six, a greater promise. Seven, a greater priest. Eight, a greater covenant. Nine, a greater salvation. Ten, a greater faith. Eleven, the greatest role model. Twelve, the greatest call. And thirteen, the greatest sacrifice. And if you missed any of them, they're on the podcast. Or the world will all be there by the end of today. And hopefully you've got the message. Throughout Hebrews, the message is Jesus is superior overall. The Jesus way is better than the old way. It's better than Moses' way. It's better than the way of the law. And if I can jump back to Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 6, this is from the message version. Again, it will come up behind me. But Jesus' priestly work far surpasses what other priests do, since he's working from a far better plan. If the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't have been needed. But we know the first was found wanting, because God said, Heads up, the days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan I set up with their ancestors when I led them by hand, by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel isn't going to be written on paper, isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God, they'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons. They'll all get to know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small and the great. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven and the state of their sins forever wiped clean. By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf and there it stays gathering dust. Except we've read, we've looked, haven't we? The, haven't we? The Hebrew Christians are at risk of reaching up for that plan, blowing the dust and the cobwebs off and reapplying it. The writer feared that these early Christians, and remember we're talking about the very early days of the church here. 
Yeah, Jesus' death and resurrection was just about or maybe just beyond living memory. And he, he was concerned that they were at risk of going back to Judaism. Or at the very least, diluting the message of Jesus through keeping hold of parts of the old plan. And we've looked at the limitations of the old plan, haven't we? Uh, the limitations of trying to keep the law, how it was inferior, it was useless, it was ineffective. It was unable to take away sin. I looked at chapter 3. I looked at how Jesus was greater than Moses, how people held Moses up in such great esteem. And yet when Moses was alive, we read that he was grieved by their disobedience and the stubbornness of people. You know, isn't it strange? And when people can yearn for what they've had and they overlook what they weren't happy with at the time that they had it. And yet, despite all this, the Hebrew Christians were perhaps slipping back to those ways. The writer puts pen to paper or quill to parchment or whatever it was back then and sends the Hebrew Christians a letter urging them to not go there, emphasising again how Jesus' way, the new covenant, trumps the old plan in every possible way. And in preparing this message, I read something which struck me that today, you know, we've got the benefit, haven't we, of 2,000 years of hindsight, of learning, of study, of commentaries, and we can perhaps struggle to to appreciate just what, what a significant shift this was for people in terms of their understanding of God. Their understanding of him was through the law. And so maybe we're a little bit guilty sometimes of, of hitting them with their with sticks and saying, how could they have gone back to what they knew when, when Jesus had been there? But it was all that they'd known. And now it was new. Jesus had brought this transition, this change. Centuries of custom, centuries of tradition, he'd ripped them up. And you know what? It may have been that some were starting to think, actually, is this a bandwagon? Is this just the latest fad? Actually, do we need to go back to what we know? And the writer reminds them of who got them to this new way and why he got them there. Now, 2,000 years later, I don't think we're at risk of reverting back to Judaism. I've shaved my sideboards. We're not at risk of reintroducing the Holy of Holies or the sacrifice of animals. Although... Father's Day, come early because 10.30, we will have the sacrificial bacon on rolls. Okay? 10.30 for breakfast on Father's Day. But we're not at risk of going back to that in terms of our our worship. But can we get stuck on newer traditions or customs or yearn for experiences that we've previously had? You know, I've shared before, haven't I, about some of the missions that took place in the black, black country at the start of the 20th century. The queues around the town hall in Warsaw, to, for people queuing to get into a church meeting. And I think we all long for God to move like that again, don't we? For that mass response to, to the prompting of God. But if we're not careful, we, we could think that the way to get that is through the same methods that they used then. And if God tells us to book the town hall, we'll book the town hall. But if we book it because that's what they did before and we want to try and replicate what they did before, are we actually any really further on from the Hebrews and their learning and going back to the customs and ways that we were before? We're a changing church, but we have a change as Christ. And the 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 question is, so what? We've gone through this series of Hebrews, so what? Well, the so what is, 
we need to put Jesus at the centre of all we do. We need to put aside all the things which we maybe think that we know, all the things that we found comfort and reassurance in over the years, in our lives, and say, actually, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. At Christmas, I spoke, we had the theme of hope, and on Christmas, I said, well, what should come from hope? And it's joy. And it's that joy in, in being satisfied with what we have. As I said then, it, it may mean that we're satisfied in not having the newest car, or satisfied in not going for that better paid job, because to do that, if it's not right, would take us out to God's will. It's to be obedience to him. It's putting Jesus first in all that we do. I found a, a prayer which I'd like to conclude with this morning. And again, it's, it's a prayer which its leader speaks and then if you'd all respond, please, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. But shall we stand as we, as we pray this together? Heavenly Father, giver of all good gifts, because Jesus is better than our legends. Because Jesus is better than our human potential. Because Jesus is better than our family pedigree. Because Jesus is a better mediator. Because Jesus serves as a better guide. Because Jesus offers a better relationship. Because Jesus makes better promises. Because Jesus ensures a better peace. Because Jesus provides better possessions. Because Jesus gives a better motivation. Because Jesus establishes a better family. Because Jesus awards a better inheritance. Because Jesus imparts a better life. In the name of Jesus, the better way, we pray. Amen. Amen. Team, if you can come back and we'll sing our final song. Song Cornerstone, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing this and let's take all these studies from Hebrews and let's apply them to our lives to ensure that Jesus is indeed the centre of all that we are and all that we do.